hello. Your QL fandom uncle and auntie are here with giant sunglasses, brown liquor in a flask, a folded $5 bill to slip into your hand when nobody's looking, lukewarm takes, occasional rides on the discourse, deep dives into artistry and industry, and most importantly, simping. Lots of simping. I'm Ben. I'm Nini. And this is The Conversation. About once a season, we plan to swan in and shoot the shit on faves, flops, and trends that we've been noticing in the BL, GL, or QL industry. Between seasons, you can find us typing way too many words on Tumblr. Okay. See? It worked. You're already in it. <laughs> That's staying in. Welcome back to the conversation, everyone, for our fall season. We're very excited about this season. We decided to take advantage of the reduced output of shows, at least for part of summer, and decided to do a retrospective on I Told Sunset About You and I Promised You the Moon. We also have made a lot of friends in our time on Tumblr and decided to hang out with some of them and talk about the show so it wouldn't just be me and Nini blabbing about one of our favorite projects. Our panel of I Told Sunset About You experts includes the lovely, the only, Turtles, aka Wait My Turtles on Tumblr. We have Aiden, so much yet to learn on Tumblr. We have Captain Hans, who is Wen Kishing apologist on Tumblr, and the fabulous friend of the pod, our good friend Moore, Liazaki on Tumblr. So that is our esteemed panel for Idle Sunset About You. In this episode, that's who you're going to hear. In the next episode, we're going to talk I Promise You the Moon and have a different set of people on. So... Ben, aside from the fact that it's the anniversary of I Told Sunset About You, the third anniversary, why did you feel like this was the right time? I think this has probably been one of the most thematically interesting years that the genre has had. And I've said many times that I don't think we'd be able to get the kinds of quality productions we're getting out of the genre now without the success of I Told Sunset About You and I Promised You the Moon. And I feel like for us to move forward with this particular show, I think we had to at least get that show out of our system and into the recording. It had been bothering both of us that we hadn't really sat down and talked about it, even though we dropped constantly that we are fans, I think it was really useful to talk about it. I really liked that we actually split up for because you and I talked to each other a lot on this show, and it was really fun to talk to some other people about the show first and get some other perspectives. We always say that one of the whole points of the conversation is to expand the conversation outward. So we had a really good time doing these panels. We think you're going to enjoy them, so let's just dive right in. We're going to get right into it with our first question of the night. 
We're going to start with Moore, longtime friend of the podcast. Moore? Yes. Hi, Ben. How did you come to Itse? <laughs> uh, well, I came to Itse actually as a relatively new BL watcher. I had very begrudgingly watched together <laughs> and a handful of other very typical GMMTV type shows. And I had heard that there were some higher budget, higher brow BLs out there, but I'm not ashamed to admit that what initially drew me to the genre in the first place is the kind of fluffy romance trope driven narratives. And it was just the first time that I had encountered any kind of queer media that was so lighthearted and typically took place in a world where homophobia basically doesn't exist. And especially as a slightly older queer, that was such a nice change of pace compared to the other queer media that I've been consuming up until that point. So frankly, the idea of watching a more serious BL back then made me a little nervous, even though that's a lot of what I typically watch when it comes to Western media. So I put off watching It's A for a while until I eventually decided to just jump into it. And the rest is history. It's a isn't just my favorite show in the genre. It's one of my favorite shows and pieces of media, period. I promised you the moon is too, but that's a hot take I'll expound on next time. Thank you. Aiden, what about you? You've been around BL for a bit. How did you come to it, say? I've been in the BL slash QL sphere since the beginning, largely as a lurker. Uh, I didn't watch It's A when it aired due to not being in the right headspace at the time to tackle a show with that much emotional impact. Uh, It was obviously very much in the zeitgeist, constantly my feed, impossible to miss. Uh, So many other shows since then have been compared to it, and I always planned to watch it someday in the nebulous future. But with so many things constantly airing, I never quite gotten around to it. Uh, So when word went out that and Anini were looking for people who hadn't watched it yet to get a mix of perspectives. I figured there probably weren't many others who'd been around as long as I had and somehow hadn't watched it yet. Uh, I reevaluated whether or not I was ready to watch and it turns out I was. So better late than never. I'm so glad we finally convinced you to watch the show. I wasn't going to push you, but I'm like, oh my God, Aiden's finally watching. I'm glad as well. It was definitely a, an excellent thing to watch. Okay. Captain Hands, what about you? So I got into BL like a year-ish ago. And of course, being a queer person who had not seen a lot of queer media, the worms got in my brain instantly. There's like a master post of queer Asian shows that is somewhere on Tumblr that I saw. I don't know what user it is. Sorry. But I saw a post that had I Told Sunset About You on it as like a good show to watch. Um, But I wasn't sure where to access it at the time. So I kind of just filed it away for later. Cut to like six months later, Ben and Turtles were yelling at me to eat vegetables. Kirkunchen changed her icon to, I think, PP or Bilkin or something. Nini mentioned PP and then a thousand messages in the clown server later. Ginny Moonbeam and I committed to watching it, say, for the first time, which is probably a good thing because then Ben could warn me about doing one episode at a time. All right. You were the one who was like, I'm tough. I can watch more than one episode at a time. No. Wrong. Very wrong. I'm glad you also finally joined us. Last but definitely not least, Turtles, what about you? How did you come to Insane? Hey, folks. Ben and Nini, thanks for having me. This is so awesome. All right. So 
I guess what I'm the most well-known on Tumblr for is the old GMM TV challenge project that I am blogging on. I came to BLs through Kin Porsche, or at least Thai BLs through Kin Porsche. I was familiar with Japanese BLs for a couple of years before that. I told Sunset about you in regards to it making it into the project. It was obviously going to be a natural part of the challenge syllabus in terms of anybody picking up that syllabus and learning about Thai BLs in the first place. But the entire project, the, the watch list is community contributed. It's 100% created by the community of Tumblr posters who love Thai BLs and who have lots of opinions about Thai BLs, including this group here. It wasn't just through the solicitation of feedback on the OGMMTVC uh, that I came to it. I certainly had seen I Told Sunset About You and I Promised You the Moon on many lists across Tumblr as, as an impactful BL. But in regards specifically to where it belonged by way of chronology and by way of its cinematic impact, all of that feedback came through my soliciting the community on Tumblr for creating my syllabus that is teaching me about Thai BLs and will hopefully get replicated in other people's journeys as well. So that's how I came to it. I'm very excited by everybody's answers about how they came to this. I want to ask a quick follow-up question since some of us have been here since the before time and the long, long ago. And some of you got started like a year or two ago. Uh, going in reverse order real quick, what is everybody's first BL that they remember, Turtles? The classic, the wonderful, the amazing, what did you eat yesterday? Long story short. That was the first time I had ever discovered Tumblr as well. Enjoy that drama. And I was absolutely insane for it for about two years solid. Thank you for that. Captain Hands, what was your first BL? My friends were really obsessed with Word of Honor and showed it to me. So I got really into that. And that's how I found the like list of other BLs. If that does not count as a BL, then Ken Porsche was the first thing that I watched. Aiden, what about you? I'm actually really curious to hear your answer because you and I have been around since the beginning. It depends on how you define BL, really. The first thing that I think could probably qualify would be the first Takumi-kun from Japan in 2007. Unfortunately, that counts. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, indeed. What about you, Moore? You said it was one of your first BLs. You have any others you watched before that, or what was your other pathway into this? Together was one of the first ones, which is ironic because I hated Together. <laughs> I don't know why I finished watching it. I was just intrigued. So even though I kind of despised it for a lot of personal reasons, it just wasn't for me. I enjoyed it enough that I wanted to keep watching. I wanted to find more. I'm absolutely fascinated by how everybody came to this. It's Ken Porsche together what did you eat yesterday and Aiden with some of the oldest stuff moving on to our next question we're going to get into some setting stuff what about Phuket as a setting stands out to you I think I'm going to have more answer this one first because they actually visited Phuket and some of the filming locations. I certainly did. And I made a concentrated effort to take pictures, as some of you, I think, have seen, of the actual scenes in Itse. 
like the famous chip crawl deck, which was a journey to find. It was an incredible experience getting to visit Phuket. The setting of Phuket is unlike any other backdrop to a BL that I've ever seen. The landscape is really a character unto itself. I get a very similar, but also sort of very rare feeling when I watch Itse as I do when I'm watching, say, the train scene in Spirited Away. It's like looking at a natural environment that's been elevated to something almost magical just because of the way it's being shot or portrayed. I read once that Miyazaki's films almost make you homesick for a place you've never been. And that's how I felt about Phuket after watching Itse to the point that it absolutely influenced my decision to go to Thailand and actually go there. And having been, I can say it's just as lovely as they portray it to be. But I do know my attachment runs a lot deeper and is more personal than that because Phuket to me will always be tied to Tayano. The specific locations they chose, having now been there and walked around and seen it, it was so smart and it really enhanced the narrative while never overwhelming it or taking away from it. Like I was very struck that the beach that the hammock scene takes place on, it's very wide, it's very open. And you would almost miss the hammock because the way that the trees hang so low to the beach, it really sort of encapsulates the hammock. You have to actually climb under the branches. It really, I think, created this effect of Tay and O. They almost look cocooned in the darkness in this otherwise very wide open environment. Maybe it felt a little safer because of that to start seeing what they had been feeling and skirting around. The wide shots of the beach chase scene. And obviously the beauty of Promthet Cape and so many other moments. Phuket just, it did so much to enhance the intimacy of the scenes and move the story along. Apparently we're all going to have to go visit Phuket now. Turtles, when you were reacting to the series, you were writing about some of the cultural crossover stuff. What do you have to say about Phuket as a setting? I've never been to Thailand, but I have spent a good portion of my entire childhood and adult life in Thailand's southern neighboring country of Malaysia, with my mother being Malaysian, my being part Malaysian. Phuket is an incredibly important locale for me to consider Chinese migration from Fujian and from other locales in China traveled in part down that Thai landscape to the Malaysian peninsula and then ultimately settling all throughout Thailand, through Malaysia, as I said, and, and ultimately into Singapore, which has a majority Chinese population. A lot of what I learned about Phuket in part comes from my own Malaysian heritage, but also through conversations with other amazing Tumblr users, including the very wonderful Tel Omeki, who hails from the Southeast Asian region himself. Phuket, Penang, Kuala Lumpur, these are towns that happen to receive more than their fair share of Chinese immigrants that end up in part creating a very unique culture that we call Paranakan culture. Chinese immigrants intermingling with ethnic residents of the areas in which they settled. Tay's mom is just a fabulous example of somebody that, that holds a lot of those influences all in one person. She wears Paranakan clothes, particularly when she's hosting events for the public at her hockey and me stall. Captain Hands, Aiden, do you want to say anything about Phuket? Phuket is a small town when compared to locations like Bangkok, which is where a lot of I Promise You the Moon is going to take place. I've been thinking that the small town vibe works very well with how often it feels to me like 
Tay's entire world is ending whenever O like does something that like makes him jealous or like if Tay's rejected or if he makes a mistake like you can just feel in his body how much that impacts him and it feels very small town to me to like have these little moments be so big to him there's such a significant use of the Chinese language in this show and for all the ways that like Chinese is used to tell us like what Tay is thinking and feeling and for all the ways that like Tay is taking the time to try to teach O how to understand the language that Tay himself uses to express himself frequently is a really poignant thing for me to pick up on considering Tay's own heritage and like his mother's heritage and like the, the Chinese immigrant population that is a part of that community. Turtles was talking about the cultural crossover that occurs in Phuket from all the various people migrating there. I'm from New Orleans, which can jokingly be described as the northernmost Caribbean city that has passed between French and Spanish control multiple times and has now been occupied by Americans for 150 years. So we have a very weird collection of cultures here as well. Most evidence in our architecture. And I think about that a lot when I reflect on Phuket because I just rewatched it this week. It looks different from what we usually get in Bangkok. This show was so unbelievably layered by its visual cues from a cultural interpretive perspective. Ben, as you pointed out to me, one of the friends, Philip, he clearly comes from an Islamic family. His parents are shown wearing a hijab and a songkok. And it's just very indicative of the the filmmakers giving us the indication that we're, we're talking about the mixing of cultures, assimilation and melting pot, all of the different words that we want to throw out there. As per your note about New Orleans, you know, as we say in Malaysia, same, same law, it's very comparative to all of these indications that, that they were bringing up about Phuket, thinking about Phuket as a tourist town as well. You know, as compared to New Orleans, having just been to New Orleans myself, I think that there's just so much to, to pull out there by way of whether you make Phuket a permanent home or not. And Tay and O clearly exist on the borderline of that permanence as they get closer to going to college. There's something specific about growing up in a tourist town. Like you can go visit tourist locations during peak tourist season as a way to avoid people you know. Because unless they're working the location, it's just strangers. going to move to our next question here and get into some style questions. How does it say play with genre and stylistic expectations? And specifically, are, are there any works that you recall while you were watching it? Aiden, you and I had talked a little bit about this. For myself, when I was watching it say, rather than paying attention to the source materials that it say drew from, I found myself thinking back on shows that I'd seen since Insay aired and reevaluating them through the lens that had changed from my watching it. It's a clearly broke open a number of aspects that the Thai BL circuit specifically hadn't dealt into until then and expanded the genre as a result. My personal favorite impact is seeing shows set in rural locations, which were quite thin on the ground before that point and have increased at least in visits, if not fully set in more rural locations since then. Shows like Tale of a Thousand Stars, Cupid's Last Wish, I Will Knock You, Remember Me, Moonlight Chicken, 
it also it showed grit and grime in a way that you really hadn't seen before that point in at least the BL genre. It was more common in media intended for queer audiences or art house type of content, but the BL genre had always been very sanitized, very urban, very clean cut, almost cartoonish and simplistic. And seeing something where you got to see buildings with marks on the walls that are from, you know, monsoon rain stains, faded paint, chipped plaster, dirt on the ground, picture glass that had flecks on it, dust settled on things. That was a revelation, at least at the time. And it really made things feel a lot more settled and grounded and realistic. It felt like you could walk down the road and see these places rather than it being a kind of constructed facade of where these shows are that's an every place everywhere kind of generalization and that followed with shows like not me i will knock you again remember me that you got to see the grittiness not me especially the inclusion of religion more chinese cultural aspects things like that that had largely been omitted from most shows until then started becoming involved more in the day-to-day life that you got to see things like the takbart where you do the alms in the morning providing the food for the monks that go around traveling from home to home we also started getting more slower paced shows like uh, nitty man you're my sky which had heavy callbacks coffee melody my only 12 percent shows with high concept stronger writing better production value on a number of levels like uh, Bad Buddy, Triage, La Pluie, Akin Porsche. Also things with some of the more awkward side of queer life, which until then had very much not been present almost at all outside of the more tragic kind of shows. Because again, it was that sanitized sort of, it has to be picture perfect, it has to be ideal kind of nuance and vibe on the shows. So we got things like Secret Crush on You and I'll argue that I Will Knock You should fit there as well. The way that it's expanded the shows that have come after, yes, we do still have those sanitized, simplistic, clean, bubblegum sort of shows. Very much enjoyable when you're in the mood for that sort of show, but we've also added things to give more breadth. Things like La Pluie, Step by Step, Moonlight Chicken, that make it a much more encompassing sort of genre, able to draw broader crowds that have differing interests as well. I am thrilled to see the change and be able to tie back now to how that was driven by it's a this is one of the reasons why i was really glad we finally got you to watch the show because you've been in the genre as long or longer than me and it was one of the shows that you had skipped for specific reasons when it first aired and i was curious how your long view of the genre would play into your reflections upon it when i watched it say i ended up having 
really intense reaction to the end of it positively as a result of some of the works that have come before. It's sometimes hard for me to connect it, say, to other BLs that predate it because those BLs are often heavily influenced by product placement and a slapstick version of humor that it say is not relying on at all. It's an incredibly serious show about what it wants to cover. And that connected me back further to some of the German works I had watched growing up, like Summer Storm, which is, I think, from 2004. There's a Dutch film called Boys from 2014. Big Eden from America in 2000, which uses its setting in the American hinterland really well. And I just had not seen this in Thai BL. The closest we came to something this grounded feeling from Thailand was The Love of Siam, which they submitted to the Academy Awards in 2007. I actually had Turtles and Captain Hands watch that this week. So before I get into my very specific reactions to that at the end of episode five of Itse. I kind of want to hear you two and what you have to say about Love of Siam in relation to Itse before we move forward. You've said before that you felt like Itse is an apology for Love of Siam, and I fully agree. Two kids that are childhood friends separate for a number of years, come back together. The attraction between them is instantaneous and very obvious and kind of hard to ignore. And then having it end the way that it ends for Love of Siam is... You know, it's a choice. I can understand and see why they would play it that way, but I I agree with you, Ben, that it is that this feels like an apology for what they did to us with Love of Siam. Turtles. <laughs> Any commentary you want to give? Me not being Thai, not knowing Thai, and having not visited Thailand for a movie in two thousand seven to end with a successful same-sex relationship would have surprised me. So the film ending the way that it did was not surprising. And I found the journey to get to that point really poignant. That is a very deeply Turtles read, a very deep Asian read. Absolutely no surprise whatsoever that many BL filmmakers were influenced by this movie. And as far as Itse goes, is Itse an apology for Love of Siam? I can absolutely understand that verbiage. That's not a verbiage that I would necessarily jump to using. I could very well say that if Itse had ended without Tay and O getting together, I also would not have been surprised, especially with the way episodes three and four went. And now that I've seen Love of Siam, I could feel stronger in that opinion. Now, as far as it making me feel good or satisfied with the story conclusion, that's, I think, you know, that's that's personal extrapolation there. But as far as the art itself goes, I think Love of Siam communicated to me that I would not have been surprised if Tay and O didn't get together, if they had more personal, emotional, and also macro-cultural wrangling that they needed to do. Love of Siam absolutely talks to Itse, but I'm not sure that I would necessarily call it an apology. Maura, do you have any commentary on genre history? The really interesting, different thing that Itse did for me as specifically a 
queer 30 something, a Westerner who's been in all sorts of extremely homophobic environments and, and different things throughout my life. And I've just gotten used to not having a happily ever after. What I loved so much about BLs in the beginning was just, oh man, we can have these light, bubbly, everescent stories that get a happily ever after and it doesn't have to be complicated. It can just be sweet. And it was such a new concept for me to see that. So it's a ended up like with the ending that we got, it ended up being almost healing for me as dramatic as that sounds. And that's really why, because it subverted it. You could tell going in, this is going to be serious. This is going to be hard hitting. We're going to be getting into deep stuff in terms of these queer kids figuring out who they are and learning how they can be together if they want to be together. So I was sort of expecting because of my history, what I'm used to seeing okay, well, we're going serious. It's not a good chance. This is going to end well. you know. So to see that, which frankly was a much more realistic portrayal of queer relationships than your typical sanitized BL, that is what took it, say, from me to God-tier media. God-tier. Let's get into some of the character stuff. For all that they are incredible and great characters, why couldn't it be Boz or Tarn for A and O? Captain Hands, you're up first for this one. So the easy answer for me is that it just couldn't be. Like, neither Tay or O really knows exactly when they developed feelings for each other, and they both try to have feelings for Tarn and Bass, and they just can't make it work. Tay going to Tarn at 4am and asking her to tell him that she loves him was for me like, oh, I need to know what it feels like to hear this from her so I can know how it how it feels. To hear it and to know whether or not that feels good, if that feels some, like something I want to hear. For a more, you know, in-depth answer, because that's my whole shtick, right? There's a couple of things that I was thinking about, mostly the Chinese language element, the color element, and then just like Tarn and Bass as characters. One of the through lines of it say is that Tay frequently writes whatever his subconscious is fixating on over and over again in Chinese. Tay can't parse through the complexity of his emotions, but he can summarize them in like words so like rival or intimate. And we know that there is much more behind what he's writing than like what is actually being put down on paper. Because O's not good at Chinese, Tay spends so much of this show like painstakingly teaching how to understand Chinese and like how to understand him as a person and like his subconscious. So like once O starts to get it and get better at Chinese is when they really start to connect more intimately. If you think about the end of episode three with the sniffing scene, the buildup to that moment is O using the male and male protagonist question. How you say male protagonist in Chinese, how you say female protagonist in Chinese is male, male, okay is him asking if Tay is okay with them, like potentially becoming a couple. And I know this is going to kill Ben to talk about the colors, but this is for the color girlies. O is red and Tay is blue and green. And something that I did notice on this watch through is like Tay's home is filled with red. Like the walls of the restaurant are red. His bedspread's red. The couch, the clothing his mother wears is often red. And O's home is very much blue and green. So like the sign for the Panama Resort is blue. 
the windows, all of the windows are framed in this kind of like light green. These boys grew up in each other's colors. Their home is each other's colors. And so, of course, when they first meet, they're going to be drawn to one another because they remind each other of home. Tarn's color is purple. And so there are parts of Tarn that Tay is drawn to. But I see that as kind of being like the red parts of Tarn. O likes Bass because Bass kind of acts as a similar person in his life to Tay. In episode two, O says that he likes Bass because Bass drives him around. But he won't confess because he doesn't know what Bass's feelings are for him. And he thinks that Bass likes girls and he doesn't want to lose him as a friend when that is a direct parallel to Tay. And something that I started noticing on this watch through is that Bass picks up whatever color Tay is wearing, but he's often like a scene or an episode behind. So in episode four, Tay's wearing green at the beginning of like them going to the resort. And then Bass picks up the green when he shares a bed with O. And then by the time that Bass has picked up that green color. Tay and O are both in yellow. And so, like, they're now matching, and Bass is behind the curve. From the perspective of just like Tarn and Bass as characters, like, they both value themselves enough to know when to let go, which I think is a very crucial part of their relationships with Tay and O. When Tay colors that hibiscus that Tarn draws red, she shuts that shit down like immediately and sends him home. And when O is quiet and sad on like the drive home, Bass knows immediately like why that is and goes to Tay's house. It's like I really strongly believe that O ends up with Tay at the end because Bass gives him up. O would have kept fighting the urge to go to Tay and like to comfort Tay and to support him if Bass hadn't driven O to Tay's house and been like, it's okay. It's fine. I understand. And and given him that freedom. Very fascinating to follow up on the thread about Darn and Boz having more willingness to cut those boys off. <laughs> Anyone else have any commentary they want to talk about on Boz or Tarn? Oh, please, Aiden, proceed. It just needs to be said that Boss is the best boy, and Tarn is the best girl. Sorry, somebody had to say it. Thank you, sir. <laughs> so, I think Tay likes Tarn because she's as committed to her future as he is. She intentionally does not pursue a romance with him because she thinks it would get in the way of her pursuit of her art and architecture career. And Tay is super committed to his career as an actor. And I think that's probably why he liked her so much. There's a little bit of I Promise You the Moon slipping through. But like Captain Hans pointed out, because she's committed to what she wants for herself, she's not going to sacrifice a ton of her stuff for him the way O might, or that Tay might for O. And Boz, I've been thinking a lot about second lead stuff because of conversations with Shan. Boz doesn't confess until really late in the game. But so much has happened at that point that Tay is going to be able to break past that because of the earlier promise. I agree that he is the best boy, but... I think O likes the drama that he brings to his life. (laughs) 
On to our next question. The dynamic between Te and O'Eo is one of the primary draws of this story. What did you connect to in their dynamic or their story? More? You're up first. I'm vibrating. Can you tell? <laughs> so <laughs> there is so much, I think, that could draw anyone into the story of Itze because the glories and the pitfalls of first loves, they have so much in common regardless of who you fall in love with. But I personally connected so deeply to their story, again, as a queer person. I know a lot of other people did as well. You can't help but painfully relate to both of them. At least that was my experience, especially my younger self. Tay having so many feelings that he spends so much time being incapable of processing or acknowledging, let alone communicating. And O being so long-suffering and hopeful and just pining with his whole self for this mess of a boy who doesn't know what he wants or what he's doing. I mean, not that O really does either. Who knows what they want in a relationship when they're that young and when you have feelings for your long-lost best friend that you just reunited with. It's very complicated. But there were just so many quintessentially queer experiences in Itse and in their dynamic that hit me right in my gay little heart. The tiny secret touches that mean so much, the affectionate, friendly banter that all of a sudden is veering into flirting, or are we flirting? Like, what's going on? And then the crippling doubt that sets in afterwards and how it can haunt you for days. This gut-wrenching fear that these feelings you found yourself in can possibly affect your whole life, how your friends feel about you, whether or not your family accepts you. There's just so much that we have to consider well beyond what our hetero peers typically have to deal with. And it's exciting and it's terrifying. It's not just incredibly validating, but like I mentioned earlier, it's healing in a way to see such a frankly visceral experience portrayed with so much care and accuracy as they did with giving us Tay and O's story and their dynamic and how it progressed. I just feel like overall the stakes are so much higher for us and often at so, so young and tender ages to just explore who we are, to like and to fall in love with who we want to. And their whole story for me, watching it unfold, this is very dramatic, but it's true. For me, it felt like someone peering into my past, looking at all these little hurts I forgot, these bigger ones that are still healing and saying, it was like this back then, wasn't it? It was so hard, but there's so much beauty here and you can have it too. It can be yours too. You can have this struggle. You can go through all of this. You can walk through the fire and emerge through the other side with this beautiful, beautiful thing that maybe is even more beautiful because of how much work and how much brokenness it took to get there. I'm so glad we got to let you get that out of your system more. Turtles or Aiden, do you have any commentary on Owen Tay? For me, the the dynamic between Tay and O was very unique and not something that I had necessarily dealt with. But the coming out scene for Tay and Hoon resonated incredibly strongly for me. The dialogue from that scene matched almost word for word how I came out to my own brother. And the emotions and the fear and the terror and the relief and the reassurance and the you know gentle teasing to lighten the mood, that felt so real. Mine had 
<laughs> rather less crying, at least in the moment. I definitely did later. But the text and the the feeling of that scene just took me right back to that moment. And there's so much about this show that is authentic in a very specific way to different people's experiences. Thank you, Aiden. Turtles? For me, what O was able to get out of Tay by way of what I called a drunken hormonal experience, just the way Vilkin acted in his exploratory attraction towards O and how PP received it, how their physical interplay represented that budding romance, that budding attraction. The end of episode two on the boat particularly moved me, let alone the incredibly impactful endings of three and four. I was surprised to sort of see Tay melt and go back and forth in his physicality at the end of that episode. Just the physicality of that exploration and how the physicality itself then compared to and reflected on all the emotional processes that we saw between the two of them. I thought that that was so unique, particularly about this show and how unabashed it was to display such physical attraction developing between the two of them, particularly on Tay's end. That's something that I'll really take away from this show, that it displayed attraction, really, really vibrating attraction in, in such an impactful way. Captain Hands, you have any commentary? Of course, you know I do. I have commentary about everything all the time. So I think the thing that really drew me to Owen Tay's dynamic was the power of their feelings for one another, and like especially the way that O acts as a magnet to Tay and like the trance-like state that O kind of puts him in. So you get all these moments of Tay just kind of following after O and like O being aware of that power that he holds. The sincerity of their characterizations and the commitment to their characters. I love this show so much for having Tay just constantly walk in circles and how that will kind of translate into just the cyclical nature of his own personality and like the experiences that he has and the stuff that he puts himself through, the things he will continue to do as their relationship progresses. You can tell so much like how comfortable these two are with each other and how in love they have been with each other since they were kids and that's another reason i think that they couldn't have really been with anybody else is because they have all of this history between them that is like so palpable and like how much tay wants to protect those memories and like the feelings that he has when he's with oh the line that they say like don't give my time to others is so poignant. Seeing the way that Tay is continuously transformed by being around oh, hating coconut at the beginning of this show and thinking that it smelled bad, and then like having that scene with O on the boat at the end of episode two, and then immediately opening episode three with Tay just smashing a bit of coconut meat on his face as like hard as he can because he just wants to be like as close to it as possible and like how it doesn't smell bad anymore and how it tastes good now because he's starting to have these feelings for oh 
And that has radically changed how he interacts with the world around him. It's just like so good to me to watch being portrayed on screen, especially because Tay is not aware of his queerness in the way that O is. And so like Tay not knowing why he feels the way he feels and then lashing out because he can't put a name to like what it is that is causing the feelings that he has is feels very very in keeping with like the queer experience as you are like learning your own identity. The thing with Itse, it's not just the things that it does that are familiar with all the important touching, the knowing that exists between you, the dealing with the homophobia, the concern about how other people will perceive you, whether or not your parents can be proud of you if you are honest about this portion of yourself. What I think makes Itse so special as queer media and why I lose my mind over it, it's about the fact that these two cannot hide how they feel from each other at all. And as a result, they are the most crybaby boys I have ever seen in all of queer cinema. I just rewatched it this week. These boys are crying constantly at and about each other. Every time any one of them says anything to the other, they make the other one cry over something. It's interesting because so much of the are you or are you not thing when you're growing up is about the uncertainty that the other boy is actually feeling it. And that never feels like it exists between them. Like, oh, knew what he was feeling. But as soon as Tay starts to show interest in him, he picks up on it instantly and eventually confronts Tay very directly about it. As Turtles pointed out, the way the intimacy between them is displayed so frankly, they spend all of episode three dancing around each other. We know where this is going. And then you get the back scratching scene, which leads into this arc about. Tay dealing with the physical reality of, oh, being a boy. Episode four has the underwater kiss. During the underwater kiss, Tay puts his hand on O's chest again. And O has a reaction to that. And you can see him immediately being hit with the uncertainty about Tay's attraction to girls in the middle of the best kiss that has ever happened. And I don't think I noticed that in my earlier watches. Even during this huge moment for them, they are still continuing the drama. There's a specificity to the way that these two feel queer that I have noticed that every person who grew up with some of the knowing, as I call it, feels so intensely about these two boys. I'm nodding so hard over here. I'm surprised I haven't lost my head at this point. Yes, yes, a thousand times yes to everything you said. The sheer magnetism of their connection. That's really one of my biggest takeaways from this show. Not only the authenticity, but just how much Bilkin and PP's chemistry and their talent as actors, how they were able to really... Uh, just make that experience that is so true. It's so true to my experience as a queer person who definitely had the knowing from a very young age. 
and had a lot of, of moments like that where it just felt like, what, I think there's something here. You know it. I know it. I think we both know it. It's hard to put it into words, but they just captured it so beautifully, so brilliantly. It took me back. It was so accurate that it made me remember little moments, tiny little moments in my past that weren't so little in the moment. They were really big when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, falling for a girl for the first time. That's part of what made it so special for me is how it really took me back to those times, but in a good way and in a healing way. Captain Hands. I was just thinking about in the opposite sense of like, I did not at least acknowledge my queerness until I was in my early 20s, but like definitely grew up feeling very different from people around me and like lonely compared to people around me for like reasons I could not explain at the time. And so like seeing Tay have to go through and process his own queerness because it is not something that has occurred to him before was something that I took so strongly to. I relate so hard right now in my life to the identity narratives because it took me so long to kind of parse through what my identities are and to like get comfortable with them. And so seeing Tay's kind of like, can I even like boys moments that is something that was really fun for me to watch again with like the circling like he has no clue what's going on in his life and he is just circling and circling and circling until he kind of comes to a point that he can connect to and then he'll kind of run off in that direction final question for everyone why do you care so much about it say aiden I care about it because, for one, it is authentic queer representation on a level that I had very rarely seen on screen, both in Thai media and, and just in general. It's very true to life for a wide variety of queer people. But also, I am passionate about it because of the way that it drove Thai media as a whole forward to a profound degree, but especially the QL genre. It showed unarguably that there was a market for high quality productions and the industry reacted by broadening their offerings accordingly. Many of the Thai shows that I love most from the past couple of years clearly echo back to its say in specific aspects and there will be untold echoes that continue radiating forward from here in a good way. Thank you, Aiden. Captain Hands. It say to me is a foundational queer show, mostly because queer characters are allowed to be complex, three-dimensional and frustrating. If anybody from Tumblr is listening to this podcast, which I know you are, the four by and about queer thing is something that I've been looking at a lot as I've been watching more stuff. And this is very much all three, right? Because they're letting these characters make mistakes and like hurt people that they care about in their quest to better understand themselves. They are allowed to be human, which is like a wild concept in a lot of the like earlier BL shows. It's part of why I don't like it 
personally when people say that it says not a BL because like why can't BLs be high quality with like really good structure and story right like I don't think that it's fair to just be like oh this doesn't count as a BL because of like the the production itself and I think that just the emotional like honesty and vulnerability that the script and the actors like showed throughout this process really struck deep in my experiences figuring out like my own identity there's such a commitment to everything and everybody in this show that I really liked watching the documentaries I just love how much of a emotionally safe space it felt like seeing how often the director himself was crying watching these scenes or like how they would kind of wind up these crying scenes I remember like PP being rocked back and forth in a hug by the director in the position that he's going to be in when he hugs Bass crying at the end of what is it episode four or part of episode five when Bass is like go comfort Tay all of these moments that like really show that the cast and the crew support each other and like trust in each other there's so much time and effort put into this show and that is part of why I like it so much is like you can tell how much care every aspect of this show was given thank you Captain Hands Turtles it's safe for me reaches an echelon that only a very few Thai BLs have done for me by way of really balancing out an homage, a love letter to the culture that that it's celebrating, along with what Aiden and Captain Hands have said so far regarding queer representation, and just hit a really incredible artistic balance, experimented with cinematic form in a serialized kind of publication way. Captain Hands, to your point about the argument of if it's a BL or if it's not a BL, one thing that I've been considering quite a bit in conversations, particularly with Neurotic Bookworm, has been whether or not it's a would have been more successful as a movie. And I've thought more about it. And I think that while there may be an answer to that, that's separate from what I will say here, which is that I think it was really groundbreaking that they took this incredible idea and artistic vision and put it in serialized form and experimented with what had been concretely developed as a serialized BL genre and played in that sandbox. So taking all of that together, taking all of those maybe slightly even risky decisions, rooting this show in a particular voice of a culture that we hadn't seen highlighted quite in as explosive of a way as It's A Being Rooted in Phuket was, along with its gorgeous depiction of queer revelation, of queer realization, just all of that combined into one pot of a show really blows me away. My watching experience of it, it took me out. I couldn't multitask. I had to take all of your guys' advice and watch one episode at a time, and no show has done that for me. And so that that's what I'll take away from it. A unique experience unlike anything else that I ever experienced watching a Thai BL. Before I move to more, I just have to say, absolutely not. This should not have been a movie. I have watched a lot of goddamn movies. We deserved all of the time that Itze gave us on this story. It would have felt so rushed if they tried to force this shit into two goddamn hours. Ah, no, no. Oh, there's the table slamming. <laughs> Bartender, get him another drink. 
I have drank like three quarters of a bottle of wine, so I'm sorry. Get him some pasta. (laughs) All right, sorry. This is about you all, not about me. Bestie in Christ more. (laughs) That was fantastic. Thank you. I was sitting at my desk over here like, yes, preach, take me to church. I am here to receive. Why do you care so much about Itse? Oh, boy. Uh, A core memory for me from the last couple of years is sitting shell-shocked, absolutely shell-shocked on my couch, silently weeping, watching the credits of Itse roll for the first time. Truly just unable to move for probably 10, 15 minutes, just trying to absorb everything that I just witnessed. And all I could think was things are different now. Truly, that was my reaction to it. I mean, this show, it wasn't made to fulfill a trope. It wasn't made to fill a time slot. It was made to show the tender, beautiful humanity that is at the core of all love stories, regardless of the gender of the person you fall in love with. And that's just not something that I can say for a lot of other BLs or shows, period. Not that they don't stand on their own two feet for all sorts of other reasons, but it's something that set its a forever apart for me. Not only that that was clearly their goal, but in how beautifully they achieved it. How perfectly, in my opinion, they achieved it. It was so realistic to my experience as a queer person, but it's also a show that I would feel very comfortable showing to someone who had no experience with the BL genre because you don't have to have any. You don't have to have an appreciation for it. You just have to be a person. You just have to be a human who has lived through tough human things and had relationships to find so much value, so much to relate to. I don't know how you can watch it say and not have it just reverberate with you on some personal level. Whenever I discuss it with people, just like we've been doing tonight, I'm hearing things that even being practically a priestess of it say, I feel like at this point, even with that, I'm hearing things that I hadn't thought of before. And I think that's beautiful that a show can be so elevated and done so well that people from all walks of life can come to it and come away with things that are just so true and accurate to their experience. And you learn things by hearing it, you know, hearing from them. But yeah, it was so realistic to my experience as a queer person while also giving a happily ever after, which was beautiful, but it was also very hard won which made it even more beautiful for me. The characters are real. They are flawed, but they figure it out. Gives hope for the rest of us. It raised production values. It raised the bar on what a BL can be. We did touch on a little bit about people debating whether or not it's a a BL. And I, I just have to say, whenever I'm debating anything, I go to the source. And it was, I believe, a Teen Vogue article that BKPP were interviewed for. They both referred to the show as a BL. So have the writers. So has the crew. And if they are comfortable with addressing it as that, so am I. And then on a more personal note, it introduced me to BKPP, my beloveds, to some of my best online friends. It got me halfway around the world to Thailand. Overall, it's an artistic and technical triumph. 
as much as it is queer storytelling at its finest. It did everything it needed to in all the ways that it mattered. It moved me. It continues to in a way that not much media ever has. It's got my whole heart and I could probably find something new to marvel about, you know, forever. It's as complicated and as, as simple as that for me. Thank you more. I have been watching queer cinema for a very long time. Part of why Itse is so important to me is no other piece of media has so consistently generated such strong, visceral reactions. There are so many great pieces that you can pull out for people that many of them haven't seen, but there's something about Itse where if you are aware of it at all, if you even heard its name, you know something about it and have an opinion about it, whether you've watched it or not. And I also feel so strongly about watching Thai queer people talk so frankly about how they also had the same sort of visceral experiences that the rest of us had. What also matters for me about this show is like we've had some interesting moments in the West, like Moonlight, with Call Me By Your Name, with other queer movies that have released, and we keep waiting for their impact to hit the rest of us. We felt the impact of Itse within a year of it releasing. Itse immediately impacted Korea's willingness to participate in BL, despite how conservative their film industry is. Japan re-upped their efforts on the genre. And GMMTV responding to that. We felt it all throughout late 21, early 22. It is so rare that you can point to a work that genuinely changed the way an entire genre functioned. And also really rare that you can feel that impact in its time. And with that, thank you all for joining us on this first clown panel of the conversation. If there's anything you want to say to the people before we go? I just want to say what an honor it was to be invited on this. I love loving BLs and I love loving BLs along with you all. Captain Hands. Sorry if we weren't as funny as David. <laughs> That's impossible. He's an unhinged 45-year-old gay man. Aiden? One last thought that came up. Itse has this level of radical compassion for every single character on the screen. And that helps the viewer to have compassion, even if they may be homophobic or unfamiliar. It brings a level of love and care to those characters in a way that we really don't get. And I have high hopes that it's something that's going to be repeated again as we move forward. More, any other closing thoughts? Oh man, I don't know. I'm I'm just all caught up in the it's a wave of feels as I as I tend to do. The show has a unique way of shutting down my logical brain and just making me feel all the things, which is what good art should do. Damn it, it really should. So it's doing its job. Go watch it. Say if y'all are listening to this and you haven't, what are you doing? Come on. It's been three years. If you haven't watched it since 2020, go watch it again.
It holds up. It's still good. And we're back. Fun fact for all of you. Nini's setup went completely to shit while we were recording. So she had no idea what the hell we were talking about for the entire recording. We're having to text her updates so she doesn't close down the recording booth. So Nini is now reacting from post, not from the panel. (laughs) Yeah, it was a very interesting experience editing the panel, not having heard a word that you guys said. So it was all brand new to me. That is a very new experience for me. (laughs) She edited out all of the, Nini can't stop me because she's not here. No, but it was really delightful. I had a really good time. I had a really hard time editing the panel. But there's some things that you guys brought up that really sort of tickled my brain. And I wanted to get into them a little bit while I was talking to you in the afters. Captain Hans made some comments on why Tay teaching old Chinese with Chinese being Tay's comfort language of expression, why that matters and how the translation scene on the side of Promtep Cape plays into that. I found that was really interesting because that is new thinking for me. After three years and countless rewatches of the show, I didn't think that there could be something about it that I hadn't thought about or that was new to me. But thinking about Chinese as Tay's comfort language, as his main language of expression, that brought up a whole new set of things to me in their relationship. I have a couple of friends locally whose parents have immigrated from Taiwan, and they talk about how they have probably like a kindergartner's understanding of the language sometimes. And I hadn't thought about how Tay wasn't learning Chinese for the first time, that he may have had some familiarity from growing up around his mom. That was a fresh thought that I had coming out of the panel. It just adds a little bit more color to what exactly Tay was doing in that class what he was doing tutoring OAU, how hard he worked to make sure that OAU could understand him because Tay is not great at expression. But the few times that he manages to express himself very clearly to OAU, it is in Chinese, using the Chinese flashcards on the boat, writing and rewriting words in Chinese in his notebook. That's how he's able to get his points across to OAU. And he can only do that because he's taught OU how to understand him. I found that was really good observation. You made an observation as well that I really enjoyed about tourist places as safe spaces when you are from a tourist place that going to do tourist things actually gives you a certain amount of anonymity that you wouldn't normally get. Some of the normal spaces like cafes, malls, etc. are populated by people that you would run into. But, like, locals are not going on a swamp tour. And so you can get away with things that you might not elsewhere. Like, I think about the fact that Promtep Cape is a really popular tourist location and the fact that when they were actually filming that scene, very kind tourists stayed out of the camera, but were like 
two meters sometimes away from the boys while they're recording one of the most pivotal scenes of the series. And that's kind of what it's like when you're in tourist places in your hometown. Like, there's a bunch of strangers crowding around you, and it doesn't matter if they hear you say something because they don't know any of your people. One thing that Aiden brought forward that I really wanted to delve into myself, Aiden talked about visual style and how it's a allowed things to look grungy and things to look worn and things to look old and things to look a little bit dirty and how that contrasted against the previous BL impulse for everything to be bright and clean and shiny. And one of the things that made me think about from my own experience, how upset, I don't know if upset is the term people tend to get from my home country when my home country is portrayed outside as anything other than bright and shiny and clean and modern, there's that whole pressure to look a certain way to the outside world. And that comes through in our media as well. So watching that impulse come through in Thai media and then being sort of broken by this particular production, I always like when... I'm watching media from other places when I can see the points of connection between my culture and another culture, between my home and another person's home. That always makes me feel more grounded in the story, even though it's a culture and a place that might be 180 degrees away from me. You can still find those very human points of connection. I really enjoyed that. Here's one that I want to ask you. You talked towards the end of the panel about O and the knowing, and you've brought up the knowing over and over again recently, and it's something that I've really been sitting with as you've explained certain things in your life and certain things in queer life. And one of the things that struck me listening to the panel that I think hadn't struck me before is that O knows, O has the knowing, but Tay also knows about O because Tay has a complete lack of surprise when O tells him that he likes Baz. He doesn't even register it as like a surprising thing. So Tay also has a knowing about O, but not about himself. I found that a really interesting juxtaposition. Tay is an actor who's masking all the time. I think he was probably a little bit surprised. But when O tells him that secret, Tay's only goal is to desperately reconnect with O. So I don't think in that moment he cares about O being queer. Like, Tay's so stupid. He's not paying attention to that sort of stuff. He only cares about O not shoving him away at that moment. Like, it didn't really matter what that secret was, because he was going to respond positively. I get that, but as time goes on, we don't see any reaction from Tay about it, which is not the reaction that I would expect a teenage boy to have. When it comes to Tay, he's always performing. It's possible that he already knew these things, but I get the sense that he compartmentalizes. 
Like a big part of it for Tay was he doesn't want to talk about it because talking about it makes it real. And then he has to face the reality of it. Like that's what happens after the underwater kiss scene is O wants to talk about it. And Tay really, really doesn't want to talk about it. It's possible that he knew, but because he's been away from O and so repressed, it's not eating at him. I'll sit with that. Tay doesn't act like he knew, but it's very clear that O was important to him, and he had to rapidly come to terms with those feelings. I think it's pretty clear that Tay didn't know about himself. It's pretty clear that his journey in I Told Sunset About You is a journey of understanding things that he didn't know and understand about himself. Part of why I like that so much of Tay's journey is unspoken is it allows it to be more universal because it lets the audience at large take from Tay what they need and project into him what they're bringing to the scene. And this works out really well for O a lot too because O does so much with just looking at Tay. There's some really great dialogue in the translations of this show, but there's a phenomenal amount of amazing work done from what isn't said. And that is one of my favorite things about it. I also agree that one of the great things about Itse is how much is done in the silences. And it's so interesting that you talked about the silences being something that the audience can project whatever they want onto. And that being part of Itse's success. Because it's also in a way so legible. Normally when there's space like that for the audience to project onto, get all kinds of wild shit. Like, I'm just going to be real with you. But the silences and the way that these two boys acted was so legible that even though there was all this silence between them, all this space for the audience to project into, they generally projected what I think the creators intended. Because the reads were largely consistent in terms of how people were taking it in and how they were reading things. I do think so, but a big part of that is how simple it's a story is. It's a very straightforward coming-of-age story in a lot of ways. That's why it works. Everything about Itse is inherently familiar. It feels like an experience that people can enjoy again a decade, two, three decades from now. It's one of those classics you can go back and look at, and you can probably point at where other projects referred back to it. I feel like I Told Sunset About You is going to be one of those projects where the future of queer coming-of-age cinema is going to refer back to it as one of its seminal moments. So all that said, if we had to write at this point an ode to Itsy as our closing remarks on this retrospective, what would be your ode? Itsy is the best show that has ever existed because it is called I Told Sunset About You. It sets up this huge drama about running to the Cape together 
before sunset. And they make it to the Cape at sunset. O has this incredible breakdown that just says, I don't care what we're going to be to each other. Just please don't leave me again. And Tay, upending decades of genre history and expectation, says, if I can be anything, can I be your boyfriend? And old wounds finally closed in my heart. Well, that is an ode. I don't think I could be anywhere as poetic as you about it, but what I will say is that this story touched something very deep inside me. I can't imagine not having seen this. I can't imagine where I would be now if I hadn't seen this. It changed things for me in a lot of ways, and that's one of my highest praises for media. If you change things for me, if you make me look at things differently, you've won. So that's my ode to it, say, you won. And with that, we're gonna wrap this one up. Our next episode will be our last Twilight in Phuket discussion. Ben and I are going to sit down and jaw about that a little bit, and then we will be introducing a fresh new panel and talking about I Promise You the Moon. So look out for that. We out. Say bye to the people, Ben. Peace.